Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my marvelous co-hosts with me today. First up, he's our other lore-focused columnist. He also plays a warrior a lot. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Define a lot. I think it's a lot. I think it's just about enough. The rest okay. of you are low on the warrior quotient. I'm just about where you should be. Now, if I if I had like 50 warriors, that might be, that a, might little be a little excessive. Much, I've only got like 38, so okay. I think we're okay. Okay, we're okay. Okay, good to know. We've also got another lore aficionado and shaman expert, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? It's going really well. I uh, I got a lot of strange looks today as I bought makeup applicators for painting. It was great. I have you ever so have that thing sitting you around? Bondos? What? I, I, Mitch, I, th- I thought uh, Joe would like this. You ever do that thing where you have to go in and buy like stuff like that, and for whatever reason, and people look at you forever, like mm-hmm. they like they just stare really, really yep. intently. Yeah, I, I've had that happen. I used to have to buy a lot of <laughs> hair stuff, and people would just look at you forever. Like, yes, I'm buying this. Ooh, yeah, it's it's I'm, great. I might buy feminine health products next so you can really <laughs> freak out. Look, when you need a scrunchie, you need a scrunchie. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Anyway, regardless, we should probably move on here. So last week we were, or not last week, but uh, last episode, we were talking about stuff that had been mined through 8.2.5. And we kind of got stuck on Rathion because, of course, we did. Um, for pretty much the majority of the episode. And we didn't get to talk about any of the other players or things that were found in 8.2.5. So um, I want to discuss the other really major, in my mind, character model that was data mined. Obviously, we're going to be talking about 8.2.5 stuff, but nothing really too much in detail because I don't think there's a lot of detail out there, particularly about this character. But we're also going to be talking about Before the Storm and things like that. So... Um, if you haven't guessed, we're going to talk about Kalia Menethil. Uh, we haven't seen her like in gaming games since I think the Priest Order Hall was really the last time that we saw her um, back in Legion. And mm-hmm. she had stuff happen in Before the Storm and her situation is very, very different now. Um, but for people that don't know who Kalia Menethil is, do you, uh, one of you guys want to give like the lowdown on who Kalia is and why she's so dang important? I usually talk a lot, so I think Joe should. <laughs> you want to so, go, uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess we'll start by saying Princess Kalia Menethil is the daughter of King Terenus Menethil II uh, and Queen Leanne. Uh, she's the older sister of Prince Arthas. And if that doesn't scream very important to you, that should. She's been missing since before the Before the Storm stuff. Like, we saw her in Legion and stuff like that, but she wasn't really part of the main story up until that point. Like, she appeared in Legion. I didn't do a whole lot of the priest stuff, so I don't know how important she was to the priest story there. Um, but in Before the Storm, she started becoming front and center to what was happening, at least with the forsaken and And that's important yeah i think what we need to um point out here though is that she is the sole heir to lordaeron right now she is the last living or well we'll get into that later she's the last living piece of lordaeron at this point yeah of the menethil legacy in particular and when 
everything went down with Arthas and when the scourge hit and everything happened in Warcraft 3, Kalia simply wasn't heard from. It wasn't stated anywhere directly that she died. It wasn't stated anywhere directly that she survived. She was just gone. And mm -hmm. nobody knew what happened to her. And um, that's part of why it was kind of like a really big deal when she... I did do the priest hall stuff. Um, it was kind of a really big deal when she showed up in the priest hall because she'd been gone, like just gone, gone forever. And nobody knew what happened to her. And even when she was introduced in the in the priest order hall, you really didn't get a, a good understanding of exactly what had happened to her or where she had been or what she had been doing all these years. Um, but she's actually, she, she became friends with Alonzis Fowl, who was like the leader of the priest order hall pretty much, um, which was an interesting twist to that particular story. But, um, go ahead, hey, Joe. Hey, can I, can I yeah. sidebar real fast? Yeah. I want to do a real fast sidebar about Alonzis Fowl. Alonzis Fowl is the former Archbishop of Stormwind. Mm -hmm. Alonzis Fowl is the guy who basically said, we need better than just priests and warriors if we're going to be fighting these these strange invaders from another world. Alonso's Fowl is the guy who came up with paladins. And was the it, first five Fowl. Yep, it was Fowl. I was going to say, wasn't Uther his apprentice? Mm -hmm. Yep. Actually, it was yeah. Tarallion was his apprentice. Yeah. Tarallion was a priest. Uther was a warrior. He brought Uther, Tarallion, Gavinrad, um, Satan, Dathrathon, and I can't remember number five. I think number five is actually Tyrion. But he brought those those five, and basically they combined warrior knight knightly abilities with the priest's ability to channel void. This is the origin of paladins on Azeroth. So basically, and, um, in Tyrion's case, he was a priest. They taught him how to do warrior stuff. And in Uther's case, yeah. he was a warrior, so they taught him how to do priest stuff. It was basically like two great tastes coming together. Yeah. Reese's the peanut only, butter cup, you know. The only, the only other thing to mention about Fowl, uh, because I don't I don't want to sidetrack us from Kalia, but it is important. Fowl died before the Third War. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, there is some suspicion that Fowl died not naturally, uh, that his replacement in Stormwind had him killed. Uh, his replacement being the, the man we now know as Archbishop Benedictus. And Benedictus turned out to be... Not great. We don't know how that worked. Out. When he when he died, they buried him up in Lordaeron because at the time, that's where they were. Remember that Stormwind got destroyed, and when the the scourge happened, Fowl woke up, and he woke up with full control of his mind. He wasn't a, a thrall to the Lich King. He wasn't under anyone's control. He was a free willed undead from the moment of his return, and he he from that moment has never served the Lich King or Sylvanas. He is not forsaken. He is not scourge he is his own thing and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that he was so dang dedicated to light yeah, and we've seen possibly. well we've seen evidence of that kind of thing before because uh we also have um oh my gosh what's his name over in lights hope oh you, i know who you're talking about the guy in lights hope uh yeah bartholomew yeah leonid bartholomew yeah yeah and there's also um there's what's his name who is actually scourge controlled but can still touch the light one of the four horsemen. Yeah. Um, I can't so, remember his name off the top of my head. Go, I want to get back to Joe now, but that's just something I, I thought you'd get thrown. Yeah, up. there's like a few examples of this happening. So Fowl is like, um, he's a VIP as far as that goes. Um, anyway, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. Well, I, uh, I don't think there was anything really more for me to add to what I said. 
uh, without getting more into, I guess, the before the storm stuff. So I guess, do we want to start going into that? Or is there anything else we want to lay out before we start talking about Kalia and her story? Um, I think we'll just go ahead and jump into the before the storm stuff. Because really, um, the only other thing that we knew about Kalia was she did feature in um, the Arthas novel. She was mm-hmm. in it very briefly. Um, her parents were trying to arrange a marriage for her, and that ended up not happening. Um, well, I just we do kind of have to talk about that then. That's actually not related to Before the Storm. It it comes up in Before the Storm. Um, I know, but we should at least mention who it was. Okay, go, go ahead. It. Go for it. They were trying to arrange a marriage between her and a nobleman named Deval Prestor. Deval Prestor had seemingly come out of nowhere. He was from the far north... Um, outside of, you know, like a minor holding up in the north, but he was apparently the heir, or at least attempting to claim that he was the heir to Alterac. Yeah. Because remember, during the Second War, Alterac betrayed the Alliance to the Horde and was destroyed for it. So there currently was no ruling house in Alterac. And they were seriously considering giving it to Prestor because he was supposedly like a distant cousin of somebody or other. Yeah, and everybody, like, as soon as they met him, he was magnetic, he was powerful. Uh, Taranis was opposed to giving him his daughter. Straight up, he was like, no, I don't see why I should give some minor lordling my my daughter. That's crazy. Then he met him, and he was like, yes, my daughter should marry him. And he would hear nothing he's of it. He's super he, cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he, it, like, she was like, I don't want to marry him, father. And he's like, I don't care. You will marry him. You will marry that amazing, wonderful Deval Prestor. And then it turned out later, Deval Prestor was Deathwing. Mm-hmm. And he wanted – he was trying to set up his own little kingdom so he would basically have a position to influence the events on the continent. When he was defeated outside Grim Batal, when the, the, the demon soul was destroyed and the, the aspects all got their power back, he was defeated. The control he had over those people faded because he was using magic to do it. And Deval Prestor just straight up disappeared. Nobody knew yeah. where he went. Yeah. So Terranus at that point was like, okay, you don't have to marry the guy who isn't here anymore. But by then, well, now you should talk about Before the Storm. And it's actually um kind of interesting to note just as like another sidebar because we do a lot of those on this show deathwing was super close and i don't think people understand how close he was to complete control over the seven kingdoms or as much as he could muster because had he married calia all he had to do was get rid of arthas and he'd be next in line for the throne and that'd be the throne of Lordaeron, which was pretty much top tier, and everybody else was kind of, you know, secondary to it at that point in time. There was a reason why Lordaeron was also called Capital City. It's because mm-hmm. it was like the capital, the major city, the that's that's where humanity prior to Stormwind, you know, coming into its own being rebuilt and everything else, and right now it's kinda like the last big bastion of humanity. It wasn't prior to that. It wasn't really. Um, Lordaeron was kind of considered on the up and up, but had Deathwing actually succeeded in marrying Kalia, it's entirely likely the first thing he would have done is make sure that Arthas suffered some kind of accident and then make sure that Terranus had the same thing happen and probably, you know, established some of his children as nobles like he did later on with, um, with Anixia, yeah, Katrana Prestor, yeah, because yeah, he had Anixia slide in there. Um, 
Nefarian didn't really do the same. Nefarian was Lord Victor Nefarious, but he never really, he didn't really have a direct hand in any kind of like noble affairs as far as humanity was concerned. He was up in Blackwing Lair doing his own thing. But regardless, yeah, Deathwing was really close, really close. And it wasn't really until Ronan and the aspects got together and you know got the dragon there there's a whole book about it <laughs> it's a very good book anyway go ahead joe i'm sorry well well following from that there's something that we learned a lot more about what happened to kalia after everything went haywire right that was one of the major plot points uh so that was one of the more important things like we, we were talking about we didn't know what happened to her we didn't know what the outcome was and it was for a long time thought that she died when arthas basically came back killed his father and purged Lord Aron. Uh But what we find out is after the whole uh, Devil Prestor thing, uh, and as King Trenis, uh, after Arthas got raised to a paladin and King Trenis sort of like started focusing on Arthas, Kalia uh, wound up falling in love with somebody who her father would never approve of. A Lord Aron footman, a, basically a soldier, a commoner. Uh, she loved him so much that once in the darkened night, uh, they snuck away found a priestess, begged the priestess to marry them uh, in secret, didn't tell anybody, and then became pregnant that she confided in her mother, uh, who helped her keep not only the relationship with the pregnancy a secret, and then after she gave birth, it was decided that the father would raise her daughter away from Lauderon, uh, ignorant of her birthright. Uh, so it was one of those things that it was such an interesting thing. It was like this, this she found love, she had a kid, couldn't really do anything because her father would go crazy, uh, and then had to send the father and kid away. Uh, we then learned out that she did survive uh, what happened uh, in Lordaeron. She survived that purge, but she was not with her husband and her daughter. Uh, she doesn't know. I think I don't think they, actually. They... No, you're you're forgetting. She um she survived the initial purge in, in Lordaeron by hiding in a ditch for several days. Yeah, that's right. And she did get, she did get to her husband and child. She got to South. Shore, that's what I couldn't remember. And that's where they were. And they lived there for some time, but we don't know exactly how long. And it wasn't until Sylvanas wiped out South shore that she was separated from her family again. And this yeah, time that's... she didn't know what happened to them. Uh, she didn't know this was directly Sylvanas and the Forsaken's doing. This wasn't, this was when they destroyed South Shore, the same destruction of South Shore that drove uh, Sky Admiral Rogers nuts. Uh, that's that's when this happened. And it was Alonso's Fowl who found her at that point when she was separated from her family and trying to escape the Forsaken. And he, he was like, no, I'll protect you. And she was like, but you've been dead for years. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole thing. Come on. And that's how she became that's how she ended up at the priest order hall in the first place. Yeah. Like he took her in and sort of like made her his champion almost. It, it was, it, he taught her. Yeah. He taught, he taught her, her how to he be taught a her priest. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Which, I, I mean, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting journey to how she got there uh, and sort of just how much loss she has to, she's had to endure. And then we get to before the storm. Uh, and it's one of those things where the hits just keep coming for her. And I'll let somebody else talk for now. <laughs> Rasa, do you want to cover it or you want me to? Um, basically, with, with uh, before the storm, what happens is she finally meets Anduin because Anduin is a priest, but he was very busy during the whole conflict. And the, whoever the priest player, the, the, the priest, the high priest, the priest player character is standing, uh, was handling it. So Anduin handled being King 
because that was a new thing for him. He'd never, you know, he, the last time he was king, he was like 10 and he wasn't really doing anything. That was all Bolvar doing it. So this time he actually had to step up and be king. And so and that's what he was doing. that and dealing with the loss of his father and everything yep. else that was going on, he wasn't really, yeah. So he was pretty busy. But when the Legion was finally taken care of for a while, there was that brief moment of, Everybody taking a breath, and he finally got a chance to, to you know, uh, Velen took him to the Netherlight Sanctuary, the, the Priest Order Hall, where he met Kalia. And he was like, what? Kalia Menethil here? Did, why, did, could, maybe someone could have filled me in on that? I, I shouldn't find out just by walking in here. Where the heck have you been? And she was like, oh, it's a story. And she told him everything that Joe had just said. And they, they almost immediately bonded because they kind of understand the same sort of pressures. I mean, she's much older than he is. She's closer to Jaina's age, but she knows what it was like to be the child of a king. She knows what it's like to have that suddenly that weight put on you, but in in a way you never wanted. Um, so they bonded. They talked a bit during the whole time where Syl- where Sylvanas and Anduin were having their little back and forth tete-a-tetes. She revealed to Anduin, you know, I've I've always wondered if my family was alive up there, or not alive, but. If they were they were forsaken now, maybe they're up there. Maybe I could still. Th- these are still my people. The people of Lordaeron that became forsaken are still my people. I still think about them. I I feel like I I owe them something. Like it's it was my responsibility, and I failed to stop Arthas. He's like, no, you didn't fail to stop Arthas. That's ridiculous. But when he set up the peace meeting in in the uh, I want to say Altar, but it's not. It's Arathi. In in Arathi, when he set that up, she was like, I want to go. Like, I want to go be part of this. I want to see these people. She was actually to... the one who talked him into doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, but he, he didn't expect her to come along. Like she, she convinced him that it was worth trying, but he didn't think she'd be coming. And she was like, no, I want to come to this. And he's like, all right, keep in mind though, this is going to be hard for you. And she was like, yeah, I, I'm aware. But she didn't really understand how hard it was going to be till she got there. When they were actually doing the, the meeting, Sylvanas was being Sylvanas. And, you know, not particularly warm or exciting. Or, and and Kalia stayed way away from her. She did not. They didn't interact at that time because she Kalia didn't tell anybody who she was either. She yeah. showed up with like a hood on and Kalia was like very low key about the whole yeah. thing. But she met. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was she actually met. She met somebody that knew her. Um, who, do you remember who it was? Was it uh, was it the the widow of the. Anduin's Castellan? No, it was the um the archivist. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he was like, "Oh my my princess," and she was like, "Please, please, I'm I'm not, but that's not me anymore. I'm not that." But he was convinced. No, you have to. You know, he. She was talking to him, and and basically the fact that people started defecting is down to her because people realized, okay, we've had this time, we've got to be reunited with each other, but we're going to be separated now. And the, the archivist, I believe, had a daughter who was still alive and in Stormwind. And the daughter was like, I yeah. can't bear not seeing you after all, after this. I'm not going to see you anymore. And he was like, but I can't. And, you know, Callie was like, just go. We'll just, we'll just go. We'll go now. I'm sure Anduin will give you sanctuary. We'll just go. And that started the whole thing. Because Sylvanas and her people immediately noticed that some of the Forsaken weren't coming back. And it was time to come back. And that triggered off everything that happened after with Sylvanas killing um, her own people from the Desolate Council, uh, the defecting that started. That was all because Kalia kind of lost it and was like, no, we'll just all of you can come and we'll we'll work it out. Kalia pretty much revealed herself at that point and Sylvanas saw her and recognized and knew who she was. And, and the in- now, the interesting thing that we should say is during this meeting, there was like a treaty in place where 
Sylvanas and Anduin had agreed to not hurt uh, members of each other's like cities, right? Like I won't have, he wouldn't attack anybody of the any of the Forsaken. Sylvanas would not affect anybody who is a citizen of Stormwind. Yes. Here's the important part: Kelly is not a citizen of Stormwind. No. Sylvanas sort of keys on that. She's like, well, I know who this is, and uh, she's not of Stormwind. Cool, I can kill her, and yep. she does. Yep, she uh, when she's striking down the desolate council members that defected, and she kills other desolate council members just because she doesn't want them around anymore because mm-hmm. they they've they pushed her to do this in the first place, so they're not loyal enough. So she kills and them too. They will and tell she, the tale. Yeah, much. exactly. She doesn't want anybody to know what why she was killing these people. Um, if they're all dead, she can just spin it however she wants. So she kills them, and then she kills Kalia because a Callie is the instigator, and it's what she's done is effectively a challenge to Sylvanas's authority. Uh, B, it's Kalia Menethil, which means it is a threat to Sylvanas as as the current you know, Banshee Queen. It's the person who has claimed to to lord her on. And so those kill- people, the who, one those, and only person who still has birthright to lord her on. Well, not only that, they take it take it a little step further than that. It's not just about the birthright. The Forsaken will remember her. The Forsaken that were of Lodoran will remember her. Absolutely. And who are they, they going to have more fealty towards? The Banshee Queen or their actual queen? And the thing is, is the, yeah. well, yeah, the thing is, the interesting thing about this is Sylvanas would have assumed that it was her, you know, that they would have fealty to the Banshee Queen because they had been with the Banshee Queen for so long and she protected them and saved them and everything else. But the very existence of the Desolate Council was proving otherwise. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, all she had to do was reveal herself and some of them split off immediately. All she had to do was show up and say, hey, no, they'll give you sanctuary. And some of her people left right like that. And so, what would happen if she decided to show up in the Undercity yeah. or, you know, and reveal or herself somehow, what just kind somehow, of uprising? Yeah, or she could just out. somehow make her presence known without actually going there because she wasn't. Sure. You know, but the third and final reason Sylvanas killed her was her last name. Mm-hmm. Because beyond the fact that she was a threat to Sylvanas, beyond the fact that she's a, a real rival to the hearts and minds of her people, she's Arthas's sister. And, and Sylvanas can't hurt Arthas anymore. But believe you me, she absolutely loved hurting anybody even remotely related to him. So that was definitely in there, that, that it was Kalia Menethil she was killing. Mm-hmm. And and almost you can't blame her. You can, but you, you understand where that thought process comes from. So she did. She killed Kalia. She killed the members of the Desert Council. She didn't touch a single member of the Alliance or Stormwind. Not a single one of them. Didn't hurt a didn't put her hurt a hair on their heads. It was only her own people she killed. The tr- the truce that Anduin and, and Sylvanas had agreed to was very specific. She followed to the letter. Yeah, he couldn't. If he attacked her people at that point, he would be the one breaking it, not her. She had not done anything to his people, so he was forced to basically helplessly watch as as Kalia and the Desolate Council members got destroyed. He reclaimed Kalia's body and took it to Netherlight, thinking, you know, Fowl will want to bury it. And at this point, I'm going to let Anne take over because I think this is the part that Anne is the best at telling. It, yeah. So one thing that I think that we should point out with Kalia is that when Kalia was rescued by Alonza's foe, uh, they became friends. And then he became her teacher and her mentor and her, her guide and even her guardian in some aspects. But he was forsaken 
and I'm putting that in air quotes because he technically wasn't forsaken. He was undead, but he, he never lost his mind. He never lost touch with who he was. And as they talked and as they got along and as he taught her, she realized that even within the forsaken, there were likely still people, still citizens of her old home, of her old kingdom that were very much in tune with their senses and they hadn't lost their minds and maybe they missed their old families and maybe they missed, you know, the lives that they used to lead and that not all of them were, you know, just mindless undead. So she, I don't want to say she grew up because she was actually, you know, grown by this point in time. She'd had a child, she was married, but at this point in time, she kind of learned something that most of the rest of humanity really hadn't considered or thought about. It was kind of a horrifying thought. It was kind of a terrible thought to a lot of people. And when Andwin was setting up this meeting, he was, you know, in very close touch with Kalia every step of the way because she was the one who convinced him, look, this is something worth pursuing. And she introduced him to Alonzo's Fowl and had them talk and it was it was a combination of Kalia and it was also a combination of Fowl and his conversations with Anduin that kind of led him down this path. But he also had to convince the rest of Alliance leadership, including Gen Greymane, who was very opposed to any of this stuff happening. But he met Alonza's Fowl, and the first time he met Fowl, he was so offended. Tyrallian uh, was super offended because this was like his former mentor or whatever, but he was this undead monstrosity. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff that went on in the book where these people started to come around. Gen didn't exactly come around, but he couldn't really protest too much. So he didn't stand in support of anything that was going on, but he wasn't going to stand in Anduin's way either. And by the end of the book, after witnessing everything that happened on the field there, Gen was kind of forced to realize what everybody, what Callie had known all along, that there are Forsaken out there who are still in control of their senses, who aren't just blindly following the Banshee Queen, and who maybe remember their old lives and miss their old lives and wish that they still had a connection with their old lives. That was kind of what the Desolate Council was all about. Was just like main at first it was just maintaining order while Sylvanas was away because she had been promoted to war chief, so she was off and away. Um and these Forsaken all kind of came together to keep the city under city running and everything while Sylvanas was out. But it was also, you know, there were a lot of them that had common threads. So Kalia and Andwin went to these relatives of Forsaken that were on the Desolate Council and said, hey, um, you remember that person in your family that died? They're not exactly dead and they're not exactly alive, but they would like to meet you and get in touch with you again. And you do not have to agree to do this. We understand if you do not want to do this, if this is too difficult of an experience for you to even think about or consider but we're arranging a meeting if you want to participate in the meeting and there were there were some people who were just like no no there's no way there's no way I'm not even no they're gone and I don't want to think about what they are now if they are anything that's not them um but there were some people who were like yeah I want to meet them I want to give them a chance and when they showed up on this field 
even when they showed up on the field, the people that showed up because they wanted to meet so-and-so from their families, there were some of them that they laid eyes on these people that they had thought were dead for a long time. They, they laid eyes on these forsaken and they said, I can't handle this. And they walked off the field. But there were some people who stuck around and actually talked and had conversations and all of this other stuff. And a lot of this was because, again, it was Kalia. It was Kalia fostering this connection. And Kalia was never in a place where she was leading Lord Ron, ever. Um, I think in the Arthas novel, but it might have been in Before the Storm. I don't remember. But I think it was in Arthas. She had a conversation with Arthas where she told him very, you know, point blank she said i'm never going to lead this kingdom it's you you're the male heir you're the one who's going to be king i'm going to marry whoever they put me set me up with and i have to be happy with that and i'm not happy about it but it is what it is this is the life i have been born into i i feel like what she was doing in before the storm it was almost her way of kind of not necessarily reclaiming her kingdom with the intent to lead it but her way of offering solace to those people that had had these horrible, horrible, unspeakable things happen to them in the Third War and letting them know that there was still hope out there and there was still light out there because she was very much a priest at this point. The Fowl trained her very, very well. Um, when Sylvanas killed her, they took her to another light temple, um, at which point the Naru in the temple. I think her name was Sara, if I remember yeah, right. Sarah. Okay. S A R A. Yeah. It's like S A apostrophe A R A Sara. Anyway. Yeah. Um she revealed that there was a way to fix what had gone on, not necessarily fix, but introduce. It was basically like a rebirth and Sara used her power and had Fowl lend his power and had Andwin lent his power to basically bring back Kalia not as a living person but as a undead really an undead that had been touched by the light in a really significant kind of way sort of in the same way that Fowl had really um she's not the same as the Forsaken now but she kind of views herself the same as the Forsaken and when this happened in the book she seemed pretty at peace with the fact that it had happened she wasn't horrified about coming back. She was actually kind of grateful that this opportunity had been given to her because in a way it puts her closer to the people of Lordran than she'd ever been before. Well, she's also was a little relieved too, because if you beginning like she was complaining to uh I believe Sarah or Sarah, however you want to pronounce it, about the nightmares that she was having. Yeah. And this was sort of like Sarah said, "It'll they will stop be happening when you're ready for them to stop happening." And sort of at this moment, like this is the worst culmination of those nightmares for her. It's already done. Yeah. Like there's nothing more for her to be afraid of, which there is why isn't. she's still at peace with it, right? Yeah, she's at peace with it, and she also, I mean, Fowl is still there to guide her, but now he can guide her even further because she is now an undead walking under the light. The same as he has been and always has been ever well, since he died and came back. So it's, I'd say yes, but like, she's, she's something more than that. She is like, because and, and we was, will get to, I mean, we will get <laughs> sorry, to that. We'll, we'll get to that, but <laughs> it, it puts her on the same playing field as those people in her kingdom that had suffered this horrible fate. 
Except that it doesn't, it kind of puts her on a step, an unknown step, really, because we aren't really, this is something that has never, ever, ever been done before, ever. Usually what happens when the undead are raised, we have the scourge that Arthas raised, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the death knights and everybody else. And those were just like deliberately brought back from the dead and working under his thrall. And then we have the forsaken, the ones that were scourge, that were serving, that had died, that were mindless and then got their free will back. And then we have like a third generation almost of undead. And these are the ones that were raised by the Valkyr. And they were given a choice, serve Sylvanas or you could just die permanently, whichever one you want. Um, And those are the ones that we see kind of when let me finish my sentence here Rossi and then I'll let you jump in but these are the ones that we see um, when you're forsaken starting in the starting zones now because you're raised by a Valkyr and they tell you hey do you want to be undead do you want to serve Sylvanas or do you want to take off and you kind of see evidence of people who have who chose both things while you're leveling through that starting zone and go ahead Rossi there are slight variations on this um we know that the the Burning Legion knows how to raise the dead, not just because they're the ones who made the Lich King in the first place, but because uh, Balnazar has created his own army of undead. Yeah. Called the Risen. Yeah. And uh, he did that with straight up necromancy. They are uh, the, the remnants that... of the Scarlet Crusade. Mm-hmm. They are and now the things that they sought to wipe out, which is kind of sad in a way. They're not and never were the Forsaken. They weren't raised by the plague. And they, they have never been loyal to the Lich King. They're straight up raised by the, the Burning Legion necromancy. We also know that there are undead who date back to the original invasion of the of the Burning Legion that that was took part of the Sundering. Um, because, like, for instance, Varathen's ghost that used to wander around uh, Ashara for years. Yeah. Uh, it's possible. And, and there were undead wandering around in um, Darkshore for a long time. Well, and I was going to say, undead... we, could, we could go all the way back to what happened with Tyr and the dragon aspects and mm-hmm. Galakrond yep. way back That's when. True. Mm-hmm. And, we, and that one's even weirder because we have no idea how Galakrond did that. We don't know what was affecting Galakrond. We don't know what Tyr did to Galakrond to make it that happen. And Tyr doesn't even actually admit this is my fault. He just kind of hints there was an experiment and it didn't go the way he expected. We don't know what the experiment was. We don't know what that's going to do with anything. We don't know how those undead exist. Um, but that all being said, the interesting thing is that there are different, various different ways to create undead. Like obviously the original Valkyr working for, for Odin created undead. The Valkyr themselves are undead. And Odin created undead when he went, when, I mean, Helia was the first. Yeah. And the Stormforged are the creation of taking living soul, taking souls out of the Shadowlands and putting them in physical bodies. So you could call them undead, although they're also constructs. So it's kind of weird. But all of that aside, the interesting thing about Kalia is she resembles nothing so much as Aeir. Yep. Yeah. There's these two beings that are like that. There's Kalia Menethil, who was raised by a Naru using the power of a living and undead priest as her intermediaries. And there's Aeir, who was created by a Titan forged who had who is like just one step below an actual Titan and who is infused by the light and is an undead being. Well, not only so, is infused by the light and is an undead being, but infused by the light and the her creator, uh, what sold part of his body for secrets of a dark nature. So we could also say possibly void touched or whatever or shadow touched. So yeah, they're very similar in that regard too. 
a lot we don't understand about the, the various kinds of undead, but I do think it's important to mention the Aeir uh Kalia connection not that they're directly connected not that they know each other or interact with each other but that they are very similar the the appearance is kind of similar state, yeah Kalia's current state in particular um and that's when we're talking we're getting to the the fact that we've seen the, the data mind character in yeah there when we've been talking about um Kalia obviously all this happened in before the storm and this was the lead-up novel to battle for Azeroth Despite being the lead-up novel, we haven't heard a peep about Kalia since then. She was mentioned very briefly. Um, I believe it was Jaina that was asking about Kalia, and mm -hmm. it was just a name mentioned. That's all it was. And then Derek happened, and Derek was Jaina Proudmore's older brother. He died in the Second War, and over the course of the Horde War campaign, you find his corpse. You find his corpse, you take it back to Sylvanas. After everything that happens in the Battle of Dazara Lore, Sylvanas brings Derek back to life as a Forsaken, with the intent on essentially programming him to wreak havoc, at which point she will return him to the Alliance and basically ruin the Proudmore family, or at least that's her hopes. Bane sees this, objects strenuously, because of course he does, um... And before any of this can happen, or before we think any of this has happened, he intervenes, kidnaps Derek, and returns him to Jaina. And when he returns him to Jaina, there's a scene that plays out, and he says, I can't go home, can I? And she says, no, but I think I know where you can go, or something along those lines. To me, that kind of implied that perhaps Derek was going to be making a trip to see Kalia and Alonsus, um, and work with them. I'm not sure if that's what's going on because we haven't, I don't think we've seen anything super data mined for 8.2.5 beyond the model. And but, we haven't really seen anything of Derek since that event either. No, we haven't. Anything, so. Nothing's really happened since then. So I kind of want to talk about Kalia. I mean, we already touched on her history and everything that had happened to her. Before the Storm, by the way, is an amazing novel, you guys, and you should totally read it if you haven't. Absolutely. Um. What do you think Kalia's role is going to be in future events here? Because obviously we have a model now, so she's coming at some point. So way, 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 way back when, when we've had our, our episode, or I think we might have had multiple episodes, when we were talked about Before the Storm, uh, I made a prediction. And I said that Kalia is going to replace Sylvanas no matter what happens at the end of this expansion. That Sylvanas will no longer be in charge of the Forsaken. And in fact, they might not even be the Forsaken anymore. They still won't be welcome on the Alliance side, but they're not going to quite be as separated from the Horde as they were. And I think that's what Kalia is going to wind up being still. And the more that this expansion goes on, the more I feel that this is absolutely what's going to happen. Because if you think about it, the Horde is splintering again. It's one of those things where even now, if you're playing through on the Horde side, you have Lothamar talking about, okay, well, I can't ignore this anymore. I guess I have to do something. Uh, and starting to get to the point where he's going to rally the people. And there's comments being made like, this isn't the first time we've had to uh, dethrone a war master. You know, the, the, and what happens after that? Who takes over for the second? Who guides them? Kalia is the perfect person to step in at that point. She cares about those people. She has a natural love for all of those people wants to see them raised beyond whatever happened to them in the past and bring them into a light where 
they're not they're not forsaken anymore. They're they're they'd be something more. And with this time that she's been spending with Alonzis, uh, with anything she's learning how to be a diplomat, because one of the things she she mentioned to Arthas when she got raised was that I don't know what it's like to be a leader, but I hope to learn because she was never being groomed for that. Now she she understands that she has to be. This is her this is her calling. This is her purpose. This is her light. And I think that's what's going to happen. She's going to step in. She's going to bring the Forsaken back to being whole again. And I don't think they'll be called the Forsaken anymore. I think there'll be something else for them. Um, I don't think they're all going to be light-touched like she is, but I think it's going to take them from shadow-dwelling schemers that they've been sort of portrayed as to something more, something that is more akin to what they are, what they were in life. What do you think, Rossi? I've had something I've been... I've been predicting for Sylvanas since before this expansion. I've always said that the worst thing that could possibly happen to Sylvanas would be to to be made whole and alive again. Oh, yeah. It would be the worst thing. The second worst thing, though, would be to still be undead, but to be able to feel again. Because Kalia can feel. Mm -hmm. Kalia has no trouble feeling. She isn't. There's an old saying that if you played back in 2004, and hey, if you have played back in 2004, WoW Classic's coming, so you can go play all that. Uh, but if you if you played in 2004, you remember the original Forsaken saying that Sylvanas used to say all the time. What are we, if not slaves to this torment? And she still says it from time to time. Because that's the thing. Sylvanas Windrunner does the thing she does because she is in a body that has been twice taken from her. She was killed and raised as a banshee, not as what she is now. When the Lich King tried to, you know, keep her in control and they broke free because he was being attacked by uh, Illidan's, you know, use of the Eye of Sargeras. Trust me, it gets complicated. Um, When she broke free and reclaimed her body, it was still not her body anymore. It was dead. It was a dead body that she had to inhabit. And you can see to this day that her natural state is to explode into shadow and she has to recoalesce the body. She has to bring it back. That's her doing that. That's her forcing it to exist. It's not supposed to be there. It's not hers. It's dead. That's why she still has the Banshee scream after all these years. The thing that's actually still there is the Banshee inside that body. And if you watch the opening cinematic to Battle for Azeroth, you get a perfect sense of this. You see her erupt into the Banshee. And she doesn't just have the scream. She is the Banshee. And then she coalesces back into a physical form. She's learned how to do that. But that body is dead. And she doesn't feel like she used to. None of them do. None of them. It's it's actually a, an irony that of all of her followers, only Nathanos really is even close to feeling like he used to. And even then he isn't. But he's closer than he was before when his jaw was hanging off and he was just a rotting corpse. When she had the Valkyr perfect him he started getting some of it back but Kalia has it all back Kalia doesn't had never lost it Kalia can think and feel she's maybe a little more I don't, I don't know if the right word is detached but she does not as much the fear is gone like you said when she, when she was having those nightmares she's accepted what she is and what she's become but she can still feel she can still be a little sad she can still talk to Anduin as a person just like Fowl Fowl is still, Fowl is ironically very warm. Mm-hmm. He's a warm, charming person. He, when he talked to Gen, Gen was disconcerted at how much he didn't hate him. Because Gen wanted to, to hate him. Gen was like, no, he's forsaken. I want to hate all of them. I want to kill them. But he couldn't, he couldn't 
argue that Fowl wasn't who he said he was. And he couldn't Turalyon argue that... was like horrified. Yes, Turalyon was horrified. But Turalyon has always been like that. Turalyon was like that about the orcs. If you go back and read um, the, the two novels covering the Second War, Turalyon, like they're alien. They're, they're out. They must be cast out. Turalyon, for all that he's a good guy, he's very he's very black and white in his thinking. Gen Greymane has has been at his job a long time and has seen a lot. And he knows what it is to be a monster. He's not black and white in his thinking. When he met Fowl, he couldn't deny that Fowl was a person. Even Turalyon couldn't really deny it. He wanted to. He was very angry. But, but the he more he yeah. talked to Fowl, yeah. The, the more he was like, he's still in there. That's still him. That's even worse for him because, my God, this is what he's become. But imagine this. Unlike unlike Fowl, Fowl, who's, Fowl has a straight-up regular Scourge slash Forsaken body. His body is rotting just like the rest of them. His his mind, his internal light is still very strong, but his body is still withering and decomposing just like the rest of them. Kalia's isn't. Sylvanas's is. That's why she can't feel properly. That's also why she went through the great lengths to uh, give Nathanos a new body, because he was also dying and yeah, well, and she, decaying. He was decaying as well, and it's what she would have done with her sister. Mm-hmm. Had she killed her sister, she would have brought her back like that. It's a perfection that she herself doesn't have. And imagine if she did. Imagine if that was the end of this expansion. Kalia makes her like her. Instead of destroying her, she becomes that. And can she possibly deal with that? Well, and that's what we talked about before. Like we talked about that in terms of her being a living person. Well, we talked about even just her being redeemed, right? Like we never, we never really talked too much about what would happen if she became light forged. Well, that's the thing we or keep calling it light forge, but we don't even know what this is. Yeah. But imagine if just, just for a second, just imagine if Sylvanas could feel fully. She could feel all the things people feel, not detached, not secondhand, not like you know the difference between warming your hands near a fire and trying to warm your hands with a pair of you know pot holders on. You actually can feel what you've done. Because keep in mind, Sylvanas only ever feels in bursts right now. Like she's she's being her silky smooth, you know, this is just how it goes. And then that night elf hits her in the right spot. Uh, I want to say Delane. Is that who it was? It, the night elf hits her in just the right spot and she just becomes furious. Because when you can barely feel, it's in a way it's like a, it's a strange metaphor for depression. When you can barely feel, when you do get roused to feeling, it's like out of control. Mm-hmm. It's all that stuff that you've been like unable to access. There it all is all of a sudden flooding you. Imagine if you could suddenly process what you'd done. And boy, and, has Sylvanas ever done a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've always said Sylvanas is, I've never shied away from saying Sylvanas is evil, but I've never thought she's a one-note character, and I don't think she's a one-note character now. And I don't want her defeat to be one note either. We talked about this yeah. before. Like the, and I agree with you. And I, I think Kalia Kalia will have a role in this. I think so. I too. don't think I don't know that it's going to be. You know, Kalia takes over the Forsaken. Imagine if at the end of this, Sylvanas is still in control of the Forsaken, and there's Kalia at her shoulder, and Sylvanas has to to still rule these people, still lead them, still be their head, but now completely different. Now she. She knows what they've lost in a way she couldn't know before, because before she was in it, she was just as much a victim of Arthas as anyone. And that's the thing. She's just as much a victim of this as anybody else. I would love to see that. The only the only thing that makes me think that that's not going to happen is just the way they're setting it up, which makes me sad because I think yours is better. 
would have I would have I would have thought that I was completely this was completely impossible had John Haight not said there's absolutely no way we're going to kill her and that she will be alive at the end of this expansion. Oh sure, but I then but that thing is like when 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 he said that I started thinking what are they going to have happen? Are they just going to have her captured and put on trial again? They've done that. They've said repeatedly that that's not what they want to do. So what do they want to do? We're and I, this is gonna, pure conjecture. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and reel it back a little bit here from the lore level and look at it from a more meta level. So you know how we have two factions, right? Mm-hmm. And we have these two factions. And over the course of the, what, 15 years that World of Warcraft has been around, all of the different races in the different factions have demonstrated that they're capable of good and that they're capable of neutrality. But there's always going to be, you know, the bad apples that ruin the bunch, right? The only people, the only, the only ones that have been straight up not great have been the Forsaken. And when people talked about merging the factions and everything else, everybody always immediately turns their eyes towards the Forsaken because the Forsaken have been doing this stuff with the plague. They've been doing this stuff. They've been doing some really terrible things and they've been doing it in kind of an underhanded way, maybe under the Horde's nose or Horde leadership was okay with kind of overlooking what was going on. But we can't like dismiss the fact that all of this stuff was going on. And to me, when people talk about, you know, getting rid of the factions or whatever, the Forsaken is it, it, the Forsaken are the ones that I always get stuck at because I'm like, how do you make the Alliance accept these guys? You don't, right? Kalia represents this really interesting new dynamic. And we saw her in Before the Storm gradually start to get Anduin on the idea that the Forsaken weren't necessarily terrible or anything. And, and you know, when you talk about Rossi, when you talk about uh, Sylvanas and her famous line, you know, what are we if not slaves to this torment? That's all Sylvanas has known since she died. That's all she's been familiar with since she died. And when she brought the Forsaken together under her wing in the Third War, when she got her body back, when they drove Arthas out, when they, when they reclaimed Lordaeron for themselves, it was all about vengeance. And it was also about offering these people who had lost everything a place where they felt like they could belong yeah we're all miserable and we're all half dead but we have each other so let's get together and let's go kick the butt of the person who did this to us because we can't go home again there's no way they're terrified of us they think we're horrible we're falling into pieces sylvanas has been cultivating that really throughout her reign And I think she even kind of believes it herself because nobody's going to accept her again. Who would accept any of these other people? What are they if not slaves to their torment? They're nothing. According to the rest of the world, they are things that should not be. And this was demonstrated time and again. I mean, they sent people to Stormwind that never returned. Diplomats seeking some kind of like alliance. And they were turned away, like forcefully, or killed, or whatever it was that happened to them. Kalia represents a different side of that story, and it's one that's never been presented before. She's the one person on Azeroth that knows who these people are and what they have been through. 
because she's seen it all herself. She's witnessed it all. She was so close to experiencing it herself and she managed to get out of there. And she found the one forsaken who isn't really a forsaken, but she found the one undead who could show her otherwise and show her that there was possibility beyond that. And um, I kind of keep going back to that cinematic, uh, the one between Sylvanas and Delarin, where Delarin says, you you can kill this, that, and the other, but you cannot kill hope. That's what she says. She says, you cannot kill hope. And that's what sets Sylvanas off and sends her to burn the tree. I think Calia represents that thing that Sylvanas cannot kill. She's hope. She's hope for the Forsaken. She's hope for a future where it's not we're zombies and we need to make the best of it because the rest of the world hates us. She's the one who has her hand extended and says, I know where you've been and I know what you've been through and I'm sorry it happened to you, but it doesn't have to be this way. And that's what scares the heck out of Sylvanas. And I think that when she finds out, because I don't think she's aware of what happened to Kalia, I think when she finds out, she's going to be terrified. Uh, I hate, There's a thing I hate to reference, and I do love to reference it at the same time. Go for either it. You guys played, if either of you played Star, um, the Star Wars game, Knights of the Old Republic 2. Oh, yeah. I have not, but go ahead. Character named Kreia. And if you haven't played it, I'm not going to spoil the game for you. The character Kreia is fascinating. And there's a point where you as the, the main character are on the planet, um, I want to say Dathomir, but I don't remember. It's it's where the, it's the Sith homeworld, essentially. It's it's where their tombs are. So it's not Dathomir, but it doesn't matter. You go there, and at one point you come to the tomb of a Sith Lord. And the Sith Lords, original Sith Lords, were actually Jedi who had been driven out of the Jedi Order for wanting to practice the dark side. And you find his tomb, and you find some writings, and he talks about how, at the end of his life, he wonders if they were right. And he thinks maybe the old masters were correct, and that the, the light side was the way to go, and they, he's he's made a terrible mistake, but now it's too late. And she disdains it. And the disdain, the particular thing she says is, but redemption is a kind of spiritual collapse. It's a fall. It's an abandonment of what you currently believe. I feel like that's really important to think about with Sylvanas, in that her if there was a quote-unquote redemption arc we're not talking this isn't like other characters they may have done redemption arcs for in the past this would be a collapse if sylvanas was to be quote-unquote redeemed it would be at the cost of everything that she's used to keep herself going all this time if sylvanas ever had to stop and say look at what i've done it would only come at the end and it's only someone like alia who could ever offer it to her Mm -hmm. because you would need somebody who could say, I see what you've done and I see what you've lost. And I'm still offering you this. And I forgive you. Yeah, it, But it's, it's not even forgiveness. It's not even forgiveness that's the issue. It's someone has to give you a way out. When you don't see any, like you were talking about before the storm, Sylvanas doesn't believe she could be accepted. And therefore she doesn't believe anybody else could be accepted either. So she's sparing them the pain of being rejected. She's because also when, a little bit unnerved by the idea that anybody could. Yeah. And there's that a lot of this comes from going back to war crimes, another Christy Golden novel, because look at how close she was with Verisa. And but because she's Sylvanas, she wanted to bring Verisa to her and make Verisa undead and like her and be with her. And then she wouldn't be lonely anymore. And when Verisa chose to stay in her life, she took that as a rejection. But it, when the three sisters met up again, Verisa said to her, 
I, I was wrong to just leave. I should have spoken to you. I should have tried. And that's when the, the ambush that Sylvanas had planned for her sisters, she didn't spring it. And she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to deal with what it meant. She's never wanted to deal with what this means. But the truth is, in the core of her, she is the same person who was the, the Ranger Lord all those years ago. That's the horrible secret here. That mm-hmm. inside, trapped inside this thing that she's become, is the person she was, which is why the idea of hope drives her so insane. It's why the idea that you could be accepted as what you are, because then she'd have to accept it. Because what is she, if not slave to her yes. own torment? In order to be redeemed, she'd have to collapse. She'd have to let that go. She'd have to fall. There's that thing that she has clung so tightly to, to stay true to whatever she is, to keep going, that she'd have to lose. And I really do think that there's a connection to the Azerite piece. I do think the Azerite piece affected both her and Anduin in ways we don't really understand yet. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's weirdly rare for Anduin Rin to say this person is irredeemable. Yeah. And yet he has done so with Sylvanas. He's become more militaristic. He's fought. He's taken his sword and smashed Horde to the ground with it. He hasn't lost the light, but he has become someone he wasn't before. And part of that's just war. War does that to you. War makes you someone you weren't before. I think you get a big part of Sylvanas saying that when she says the boy king thinks he knows what's, what's happened. But war is a living thing. It changes. It grows. It goes in directions you don't expect. That's something Sylvanas knows very well. What she doesn't really isn't willing to face is who she is. And I think that that Kalia is the person you said that you think Kalia would terrify her. I don't know if terror is the right word because there's there's a, a and now I'm quoting Batman. So, oh, my God, there's a thing when Batman first meets his son, Damian Wayne, and the kid is a nutcase because he's been raised by a group of assassins to be a killer. And when they're when he's dealing with him, Batman's tried to be relatively calm. And finally, the kid does something. He think he hurts Alfred and he snaps and he like disarms him and he goes, your rage is born of fear and it is unworthy of a disciple of the martial arts. And that's Sylvanas. Her rage is born of fear because why wouldn't she be afraid? She lost everything and then lost even more. She is a victim as much as any of the rest of them. Worse in a way because he stole everything from her. Yep even her body, and then he even stole her ability to rest in death, and then he even stole her ability to have problems with it. Like, she was a slave, completely bound to his will, like her and uh, Anubarak. Anubarak was such a slave that when he died, it wasn't even good enough, and he was forced to come back and die again. That's the kind of thing the Lich King does. That's what she went through. There's no way to go through all that and be okay. The fact that she's managed as much as she has for the Forsaken whilst li- you know, unliving through that is, is a testament to how strong her will is. And that's the problem. She's at a point where she needs to break, but she won't let herself. And that's Kalia. Kalia is the opposite. Kalia is that strength that allowed itself to bend. Kalia lost her family, but it didn't drive her mad. It hurt, and it clearly still hurts, and she still thinks about them, and she still wonders, are they up there somewhere? Are they forsaken now? But it didn't drive her mad, because she bent under it. She allowed herself to change. She let herself feel. Yeah, and that's the thing Sylvanas She let herself breathe. Yeah. And Sylvanas can't do it. It's not her fault she can't do it, but she can't, and as long as she can't, it's driving her crazy. It's poisoning her. Well, I mean, to take it a, a couple steps further, like, to to, to 
go along with that. Just look at everything that happened with Ice Crown. Look what happened when she finally defeated like Arthas, when Arthas was finally dead. The Lich King was finally gone. Like her reaction to that was, I have nothing now. Like that's why she clings so vehemently to these these weird, well, we consider weird, but that's why she clings so vehemently to like what she is and what her mission is, because she has nothing else. Because if there is nothing else, she's forced to like yield. Well, she threw herself off the, you're mentioning that she threw herself off the top and she only took the deal to come back because A, there was nothing there and she would have been trapped forever with Arthas and B, she was given something new to focus on. Her, her devotion to the Forsaken came out of that moment before the end of Wrath of Lich King. It wasn't so strong. They were, they were just there. Well, before the end of the Lich King, like she, her goal, her purpose was to defeat the Lich King. And they were, they were useful towards those ends yep. she Arrows wasn't devoted quiver. yeah she wasn't devoted to them until that moment and then she realized it's it's so sad to think about the fact that sylvanas windrunner was of her sisters she was the the backbone mm-hmm. she was the one that when when alaria ran off to to pursue her vengeance and verisa was too young it was alaria I mean, it was it was Sylvanas that stood and took the took on the role that that her mother had wanted for her older sister and excelled at it and defended her people and defended them against something so horrific that it could only happen through betrayal. Like Arthas so, couldn't beat her. That's the thing that no one ever really thinks about. Arthas couldn't beat her. Dark she had to be betrayed. Yeah. 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 Without no. without traitors inside. So I, I, I don't want to get away from Kalia and we're running out of time here, but. The thing about Kalia is Kalia is the mirror of this in that way that she is not just a reflection of Sylvanas, that she's literally an opposite. I I they, think she does. represents Sylvanas's salvation. Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. I don't know. Well, but their life experiences are very similar and in they're very different. Well, here to go like again to continue what you're saying, I agree with you in that and I think that's why. Not only is was a Menethil the cause of Sylvanas's life now and her inability to feel her inability to process cope to do whatever and this this sort of central point of her vengeance for all these years a menethil is likely going to be her way out and like you said i i like the idea of maybe she's you know ruling the forsaken after she's been redeemed in whatever way or or forced to feel in whatever way but what if she isn't what if calia does take over and sylvanas gets what she always wanted a return to the life that she was never allowed to live. She's brought back. She becomes whatever the new Forsaken is, their ranger general. She's already been breeding nothing but a ra- Like We have an entire scenario where we go underneath of Orgrimmar now to the, ha- the halls that we've been through, and we see that she's not just training random undead soldiers. This entire area under Orgrimmar is devoted to dark rangers and dark wardens, and they are training exactly in the way that was described as the rangers in every piece of literature, lore, and book that we have ever read about them. The way that they're training, the way that they're sparring, the way that they're being forced to interact with each other, they're being secreted away from the rest of the the the, the their peoples, the rest of the society, not because they're like this horrible secret, but because that's part of their training. And we saw that with her too. She was at the 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 one front, like her things with like Nathanos. It wasn't in the middle of like this big grand city. It was in like basically a farmhouse on the like the middle of nowhere. Because that's how rangers are. So what if all of this comes crashing down? What if all of this comes comes collapsing around her? 
But then Kalia goes, let me give you purpose again. Let me raise you from this crashing moment. Let me redeem you by giving you the life you were never allowed to complete. Be with Nathanos. Be the protector of your people. Serve a person who cares, who actually understands where you came from, who understands everything you went through. Be at my side. Be my people. I could see that. And I think that would be something that would be extremely powerful because she'd still have to deal with everything she's ever done, but she'd have a way out. She'd have this this way that would redeem her in a way that would fit her character in purpose. So this has been a really fascinating conversation and I know we're over time already. I'm wondering if we have time to address one email or. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Rossi? Do you need to. I got to walk my dog, but I don't mind doing one question. We just keep in mind that uh, I'm probably going to start speaking up around 10 minutes from now. Okay. Well, I don't think this will take that long, but um, there was one email that kind of, um, talked about before the storm and since we were talking about it i thought "Mm, we should probably address that question um they said this is from um kali who's a paladin and a proud patron supporter thank you kali who says hey just a quick question for speculation before the storm opens with sylvanas planning an attack on stormwind with the references to the book being seen throughout this expansion is this a detail overlooked a throwaway line or something we may see in 8.3 or beyond possibly a distraction such as bane's rescue and possible hold up in thunder bluff leaves the door open for surprise regardless thanks for your amazing podcasts and insightful look at lore um that is actually something worth mentioning because one of the things that she said like straight up right off the bat right when before the storm started was that she wanted to attack Stormwind and that is the one place that she hasn't made a move on beyond breaking out well Zol and Talanji that's it so do we think she's setting up for an attack on Stormwind an eventual attack on Stormwind or do we think that maybe her goals have shifted at this point I don't know because right now the things we don't know about what she's doing almost outnumber the things we do know about what she's doing. Um, we don't know what Nathanos's trip to uh, Nazjatar was for. We don't know what he did when he was there. We don't know what that dagger is up to or what he's up to with it. Do I think that she wants to attack Stormwind? Yes. And for the same reasons it says in the books, she's run out of people to turn into Forsaken. She did a bunch of people in, in Gilneas. She's, she's, cleared out silver pine she's cleared out um hillsbrad uh she's kind of in a stalemate in arathi where in fact she, at this point she's out of arathi she's lost lordaeron does she want to hit stormwind yes does she plan to hit stormwind who knows uh right now i do think it's everyone's like she'll come she'll come to attack but honestly like i think we said this a couple of shows ago for sylvanas bane bane has been a godsend Bane delivered her mind-controlled, forsaken uh, puppet prince right to the people she wanted him delivered to. He exposed himself as disloyal to the Horde in the process and got himself locked up in a way that nobody could really objectively fight her on. Bane did exactly what Bane was always going to do, and in doing so, he provided justification. Yeah, he's... Bane's been a... Bane... Now, if Bane is down there fortifying thunder bluff and getting the disloyal to to go to the thunder bluff to prevent it from being destroyed great you do that 
the, the longer you're all sitting around in Thunder Bluff waiting for me to hit you, the more I can do other things. You know, I feel like I should point out also that we don't know what Nathanos did with that dagger. Um, oh, we no do idea. know that Ashara was doing something and she was looking for the dagger originally and of course we all ended up in Nazjatar and this is also where I should point out that Stormwind is a coastal city yep yeah. has a big harbor and everything just saying anyway <laughs> Joe what do you think uh, yeah Joe <laughs> um maybe and the hard the, the, again like as Rossi pointed out her motivations are really difficult to decipher because everything is a feint everything is not a feint Everything is this weird, like, part of a larger plan that we can't see. And she is a brilliant tactician. Like we pointed out earlier in this episode, she, Arthas couldn't beat her. There's a reason for that. She is smart. She is incredibly intelligent, especially in the ways of war. Do I think, like she, like we said, do I think she wants to hit Stormwind? Yes. Do I think that's her priority anymore? I have no idea. I, I think that whatever she's doing, I think that Stormwind might wind up being a part of it later on, maybe. But we still don't know what happened, like, like we said, with the knife. We don't know what happened in Najatar. If you finish that raid, like, or if you've seen the, the... I think it's been long enough at this point. Nathanos is nowhere to be found. You don't see him at all. And I have what? done everything in that place. And you don't see the, the dagger either. See and the last time you see either is that opening bit in the boat. Yep. And that's it. That's the last time. You don't he and, doesn't involved at all in the horde side of thing. But not only that, there's been no other quests that lead you back to Sylvanas. There's been nothing else that takes you back to her to interact with her in any capacity. And so with Nathanos MIA and nothing telling you to go back to her, which coincidentally usually was Nathanos telling you to do so, you have no idea what's going on. And like it's a very interesting place to be in as a horde player, because even with Garrosh, when all of that was going on. You constantly knew as a horde person what was going on. You interacted with him regularly. You wound up going back to his seat of power a lot. Here, not so much. Everything is so secretive. So I don't know. Will she attack Stormwind? I think she'd want to. Do I think she's going to try to use whatever she can with now that, you know, Azara has been removed from her seat of power? Maybe. Maybe that was the whole point. I have no idea if it's going to actually happen. But it would also make a really interesting thing if that's what causes Kalia to step in, is that, you know, maybe it filters in that this attack is happening and that causes her to step forward and that puts the chain of uh, of events into motion. Maybe. Which would definitely be interesting and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Battle for Azeroth has been really interesting so far and I, I still, I think, I don't think we're headed to a Garage 2.0. I still don't. I still don't think we're headed there. But uh, regardless, we're over time, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And speaking of questions, if you have any for the show that are lore-related, could be World of Warcraft, could be any of the other games. As long as it's a lore-related question, we will answer it 
heard eventually, you can send those to podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure that you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Um, and for you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, we talked about Before the Storm a lot in this episode. It also happens to be one of those audiobooks that's available on Audible, and you can choose that as your free audiobook download with free 30-day trial if you want to. If you're not so gung-ho about checking out that book, there are plenty of other Blizzard books available, and then there are... Crimes. The War Crimes is a good one because, ooh, Sylvanas gets up to stuff there. But oh, yeah. The, if you don't want a Blizzard book at all, Audible has thousands and thousands and thousands of books to choose from, both fiction and nonfiction, and you can pick any of those as the free, uh, you know, your free audiobook download. Um, you can download that any title you want really and sign up for that trial by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do so final thoughts you guys I'm going to go back to that whole meta thing that I was talking about um, I-, I mentioned before whenever anybody brought up the idea of like dissolving the factions or getting rid of the factions or just having the factions work together the Forsaken were always the group that stuck out in my mind like a sore thumb as a group that the alliance could in no way shape or form work with and yet before the storm we kind of start to see the first sort of movements otherwise could this be battle for azeroth and everything that's going on and the reintroduction of Kalia and everything else could this be the final stretch of a setup where the factions are going to be dissolved or at least work together what do you guys think rossi no <laughs> just no Honestly, I don't know. I I think I do think the Forsaken have they've managed to show themselves to people in the Alliance as more than just unholy monsters. But at the same time, the Forsaken are also the reason that that uh, a major Alliance city burned to the ground. Um, it's going to be, and I don't think that the Night Elves are, would be satisfied with just Sylvanas. I think that they they're never going to forgive this. Okay. It's very hard to imagine them forgiving this when their leader channels the wrath of the vengeful moon now. Yeah. And so there's, in some ways, yes, there's there's more opportunity than there was. In other ways, the Forsaken have reduced themselves to being actual cartoon monsters. And it's impossible to figure out. I, I have the hardest time. When I think from the perspective of my Night Elf characters... I have a real hard time on the concept of what could be done to make me want to be at peace with these people. At this point, it's it's hard to imagine wanting to be at peace with anybody in the Horde as a Night Elf. Because what 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 could safeguard you from them? They'll just come up and do this to you again. Like I'd be an idiot to trust them. They burned my they've burned everything. They destroyed my lands. What they've been doing it for years and now they've destroyed all the way up to the biggest tree ever. They've been destroying our trees this whole time, and now they've destroyed that tree. What could possibly, how could you trust them? What guarantee could they give? So there's, it's a lot of wiggle room in there. A lot of maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What about you, Joe? What do you think? Work together, yes. Dissolve the factions, no. Um, I think that we're going to be forced to work together. Like I said, I think at some point we're going to fight the Void, not just Nazoth. And I think that they've already laid the groundwork for that with the end of the current raid tier. Because when you turn everything in and you talk with Lothamar and Jaina, it's one of those things where it's like they begr- they begrudgingly admit that they're going to have to work together. 
So we're going to work together. I think that much is certain. But dissolving the factions, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I think Rossi points out exactly why. At this point, the Horde was involved. Not just the Forsaken. The Horde was involved with the burning of a major city and mass murder of innocents. That doesn't get forgiven. Greymane would not forgive that. The they almost burned his wife. Yeah. The night they lost everything else. They'd almost burned his wife. It's like, holy cow. Yeah, and if he in, in if you haven't read Before the Storm, read Before the Storm because you'll understand a little bit more about that. But like, yeah, he's not gonna forgive that. Uh the Night Elves aren't gonna forgive that. You've already seen a more militaristic version of our our lovely little golden now king. He's not gonna forgive that quite as easily. Like, I think it'll be yeah, we can work together, but if I see you and there's not a common goal, I'm gonna murder you. So I think that's where we're gonna be from now on. Either way, I'm kind of interested in seeing how this all works out and finishes up because it's it's building up to some kind of amazing conclusion. I know it Co-signed. is. Co-signed. And yeah, and I can't wait to see what they do mm-hmm. with it. Anyway, that's been Lore Watch. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. <laughs>